It's the Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow. Hello, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. It's great to be with you today. We are on Veterans Day. Talk about that in just a moment. Veterans Day is really a sacred holiday. Even today, with crazy things going on in the country and around the world. But I do want to say uh, how great it is to be with you. Uh, on this show, you can live stream us on the internet. It's LarryKudlowShow.com, LarryKudlowShow.com. You can hear us all across the country, around the world, throughout the solar system, including the Milky Way. And during the week, you can hear us on Fox Business Network, FBN, the name of the show is Kudlow. Monday through Friday, 4 to 5 p.m. Plays again, 7 to 8 p.m. That's Monday through Friday. The name of the show is Cudlow, 4 to 5 p.m. Plays again, 7 to 8 p.m. Or you can just DVR it. Text your favorite nine-year-old and she'll show you how to DVR the show if you can't make it. So today's Veterans Day. It's a blessed day. It honors all of the incredible men and women who have defended America who have defended American freedom, who have defended American life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, all around the world, really for over a couple of hundred years. Veterans Day is observed on November 11th, and it officially commemorates all those who have served honorably in the U.S. military. In wartime, and in peacetime. And we're talking about millions of people, two and a half centuries, answered the call to defend our nation. According to uh, a memo sent out by my friend Robert Schneider, there are 1.3 million active duty military personnel today, including about 172,000 permanently assigned to overseas duty. A little bit of history. Veterans Day was originally known as Armistice Day, established by uh, President Woodrow Wilson back in 1919 to honor those who served in World War I. And like uh, most of our World War I allies, we observed the holiday on November 11th. The terrible conflict ended on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month of 1918. Back in 1954, President Dwight D. Eisenhower changed the name from Armistice to Veterans Day. So the holiday came to honor veterans of all U.S. wars, not just World War I, all U.S. wars. And uh, let's see, Jerry Ford, President Gerald Ford, restored observance to November 11th. There are, as I said, let's see, 1.3 million active duty military personnel today, 172,000 permanently assigned to overseas duty, including, let us remember, the Middle East. We will talk some about the Israel-Iran-Hamas war later in the show. National Security Advisor, former National Security Advisor in the Trump years, Robert O'Brien, will be on the show at the half hour. 
16.2 million U.S. military veterans, right, in 2022. That's about 6% of the uh, civilian population. Female veterans, 1.7 million, representing about 10% of the veteran population. Percentage of veterans age 75 and older, 26%. 8.5% of them younger than 35 Let's not forget our veterans, folks. These are people, some of whom have made the ultimate sacrifice in giving their lives. Others, fortunately, are still with us. Let's not forget the heritage of greatness of America, which is being maligned overseas and here at home. The greatness of America. I want to depoliticize this for the moment. I don't I don't want to get into my views on the Biden administration. I just want to celebrate all the veterans. The service they give to this country and to our freedoms. Free speech, freedom of religion, freedom to assemble, freedom to do business freedom to better themselves, freedom to raise their families. Most of these veterans have great values, the vast majority of them, traditional, conservative, family values, working values, opportunity values, patriotic values. Those are veterans, you find them everywhere in life. You can often tell with their military bearing, ramrod straight, always wanting to help people, always wanting to provide service. These are people that know America is the greatest country in the history of history, and they want to keep it that way. They are our front line of security, national security, domestic security, you know, a lot of veterans serve in the uh, police forces around the country. You talk to cops, a lot of them are veterans, and they're wonderful people. And we should give them our wholehearted support all the time, every day, our respect, our gratitude. They keep us safe. American safety is not to be trifled with. American security is not to be trifled with. American freedom is not to be trifled with or ever forgotten how important this country is. We, a representative democracy. And let's not forget how much we owe them because when America goes wrong direction, the rest of the world goes wrong direction. But when America stays on the right track, chances are the rest of the world or most of it stay on the right track. And let's not forget, we are being threatened by a number of hostile forces around the world in places like Iran and all their terrorist subsidiaries, or in Russia, or in China, or in North Korea, or elsewhere. Dictatorships, haters, people who hate America, 
That's why we must honor our veterans because they protect us from these malign, evil forces. And we can never take it for granted, can we? Ever. The moment we take it for granted, we'll lose it. And we must always remember Ronald Reagan's dictum of peace through strength. He's not the only president who believed that, but Reagan emphasized peace through strength, a strong America, a strong America at home gives us great strength abroad, a tough America. We are a peaceful America. We've always seek, uh, sought peace throughout the world. But if someone comes after us, we will fight back. A sleeping tiger, as Winston Churchill once called it. But that's American greatness. Even though I see us now in a bit of a slump coming out of Washington, D.C., the reality is the men and women who are our veterans, who are part of our military, past and present, they will keep us safe. And we have to do as much as we can do to help them. Help them with our kindness, with our respect, with our imagination, with our philanthropies and charities. We do all we can to keep our veterans healthy, happy, and we show them our respect and admiration. It's a very important concept, very old-fashioned concept. Let's think about this today. It's a Saturday, November 11th, Veterans Day. These are the people who keep us safe, and their forebears are the people who gave their lives to keep us safe, to keep our freedoms intact to keep us the greatest country in the history of history. That's why Veterans Day is so terribly important. Please think about it, folks. This is a wonderful day. It's also a somber day. It's a day of remembrance. It's a day of thanksgiving and gratitude for our great American veterans. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back. Now, back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I uh, just want to read this ad. It's a very important Veterans Day ad. Red Apple Audio Network listeners, please support veterans and their families this Veterans Day by donating to the Tunnel to Towers Foundation. All you have to do is go to wabcradio.com slash T2T to donate the Tunnel 2 Towers Foundation do all they can to support the veterans of our great country. Please show your support for them this Veterans Day and go to wabcradio.com slash T2T and donate. God bless our veterans. God bless our veterans. Uh, switch gears a wee bit, although not so much because uh, our veterans and our military are getting hit uh, 50 times in the Middle East by Iranian terrorist proxies. Almost 50 times. I don't know what the number is today, but it was close to 50 as of yesterday. And one of the things that I find uh, 
so bad from the Biden administration is we are not fighting back. We are not fighting back. We have this namby-pamby response. You know, they're hitting our people. They're, most of the missiles have been deflected. I think one drone got through. Uh, we've taken injuries, apparently uh, no casualties, no, no uh, deaths, but we've taken injuries. Uh, they're back on active duty. But I think it's really awful, really weak response from the Biden administration. I mean, they've thrown a couple of pinprick missile hits in uh, eastern Syria at unmanned ammo depots. I mean, what is that? It's a nothingheimer. It's a big nothingheimer. They're going after our ships and our men and our women. And all we do is lob some missiles, they're little pinprick missiles, at ammo depots where there are no terrorists and no terrorist casualties or deaths. And I think they should pay for it. And I think this is part of Biden's weakness. And I think the Biden administration seems to be more afraid of Iran than Iran is afraid of us. And that is not a good place to be in wartime or peacetime. Not a good place to be. That's why I call it namby-pamby. General Jack Keane was on the TV show this week and talking about why, or asking why we haven't hit back at uh, Iranian command and control centers in Iran or training centers in Iran. 500 Hamas terrorists were at an Iranian-based training center in September before the October 7th uh, attack, murders. I mean, what is that all about? It's uh, incredible to me. Remember, uh, my former boss, Donald Trump, took out the top bad guy in Iran. He bombed al-Samani, killed him and his driver. There's a message. That's a warning. Samani was their top guy. He's the guy that ran all the terrorism in the Middle East and elsewhere. And what did Iran do? Nothing. Trump told him, we have we told the mullahs, we have your we have your cell phone numbers. We know where you live. They did nothing. Why? Because they were in part bankrupted by the tough Trump sanctions. No oil sales, no oil revenues, no foreign exchange. That's the kind of toughness that we need. And send Iran a message. And hit them. They try to hit us, we hit them. This is a war. They have declared war on us. This is about American national security. Of course, it's about Israeli security and the security of our allies in the Middle East and around the world. But it's about American security, first and foremost, because they hate America. They want to abolish Israel and they want to abolish the United States. And they say so all the time. Biden does not have a backbone. And this is a terrible situation to be in. And then there's this other story that's hit this week. And that's Barack Obama. And boy, does he bear responsibility for this. And of course, Obama comes out at some podcast or some darn thing and says, well, 
regarding the Middle East, nobody's hands are clean. He says, nobody's hands are clean. Really? And I would say to President Obama, sorry, sir, your hands are not clean. Obama made a deal with Iran, a terrible nuclear deal. And in that process, let us not forget, Obama gave Iran $1.7 billion in cash and gold bars and then released another $100 billion in frozen assets. All right, so he gave him cash and he unfroze the assets. Now, that's the kind of money that Iran has used to finance terrorism right up to October 7th. Money is the coin of the realm in terrorism and just about everything else. Now, the wonderful news is that the IDF forces are mopping up Hamas faster than people think. But I'll tell you this, Obama has some nerve saying what he's saying, and Joe Biden and Anthony Blinken and that whole crowd should fight back and stop being so namby-pamby. Iran should fear the United States. That's the position we want to be in with strength. This is America on Veterans Day. I'm Kudlow. We'll be back with the National Security Advisor, Robert O'Brien. From Wall Street to the White House, this is The Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're going to welcome to the show your friend, Ambassador Robert O'Brien, former National Security Advisor in the Trump administration, currently Chairman of American Global Strategies. Robert, thank you for doing this, my friend. Terrific stuff. I want to, you know, uh, the news out of the Middle East is basically good. The IDF is mopping up Hamas. Uh, they're doing a good job. All our military analysts, I mean, they may be ahead of schedule. And I just had this combined thought. First of all, uh, IDF crushes Hamas. That's a defeat for Iran. And will be seen as such. But on the other hand, Robert, I'm still seeing all this hand-wringing from Anthony Blinken and Joe Biden. Blinken was in India. You know, he, he wants a three-day ceasefire and blaming Israel for civilian casualties and all this stuff. Israel's actually doing a pretty good precision job. But, I mean, it's so important to let the momentum continue. I mean, Israel is really making great strides more rapidly and why in world's name do we have to have this constant hand-wringing, Robert O'Brien? Well, it makes you think about the Hillary, Hillary Clinton days as the good old days when she was Secretary of State. At least she had Israel's back. And uh, I, I think what's happening, I think Tony Blinken's initial instincts were right to support Israel to do what it had to do to eliminate the threat on its borders. I mean, we've got a situation where we've got psycho serial killers. These aren't just terrorists. They're, they're mass murderers that are living next door to him. I mean, think if you were in a neighborhood and John Wayne Gacy and Ted Bundy and Charles Manson all lived in the house next door to you and were killing your kids. And people said, well, you know, don't, don't, go, don't go shoot them. Uh, just build a bigger wall or give them some food or, or fuel and they'll feel better about things. Maybe they won't kill your kids. I mean, that, that's what Israel's dealing with on a massive scale. And they're doing a great job, as you pointed out. The IDF is a very efficient force. 
you know, they, they didn't rush in. Hamas thought that they would rush in and get caught in traps, and uh, the Israelis took their time. They planned the operation very well, and they're you know, limiting civilian damages, the collateral damage and civilian deaths, and, and they're going to root these guys out, and that's going to be a big defeat for Iran. But, you know, the, the Democrat Party, as we both know, Larry, has a left wing that's both anti-Semitic and anti-American. Gene Kirkcrash would call it the Blame America First crowd, but back in the Reagan years, we remember, you know, we remember mm-hmm. Gene. And, and these are the Blame America First, Blame Israel First crowd. They support the terrorists. They support Hamas. And uh, unfortunately, they're putting a lot of pressure on Blinken and, and Biden. You know, it, it would be so much better if Biden and Blinken would be congratulating Israel. I mean, you know, the precision bombing stuff, uh, and Israel had already put up, um, you know, a couple hours a day to get civilian hostages out, to get the, you know, Palestinian civilians out. There were pictures in the papers, you know, of Israel forces accompanying Palestinian civilians with white flags to get them out. They've done that. Uh, the numbers here, I mean, look, war is hell and there are costs, but uh, it's a just war. But a lot of analysts are saying how precise Israel has been. I mean, I, I'd love to see them s- congratulate Israel, say something nice about them. I haven't heard anything well, I, nice about them since the first couple days. You're right. And keep in mind what happened. There's no moral equivalency here between Israel and Hamas. It's, it's a false equivalency right. being drawn by the left, by these, these radicals. Hamas came in and targeted civilians. They, they tried to kill men, women, children, and then did kill 1,400 men, women, and children, babies, decapitated, families burned alive, wives raped in front of their husbands, and the husbands being killed afterwards. I mean, the most shocking, it was a horror show. Now, Israel has not done that in Gaza. In fact, Israel has tried to, tried to kill the Hamas terrorists that, that perpetrated the attack to bring to justice these killers. And what have the killers done? They've used their own people. Their own, their own civilians as human shields, and, and their goal, mm. it's the first time in history that our army is used, uh, usually armies are, are there to protect the civilian population. This is the first time in human history that an army is using the civilian population to protect itself and drive up to death mm. of Palestinian civilians to, to incur sympathy around the world for their cause. I mean, it, it's, it's outrageous. He's, every person who dies in Gaza their, their blood is on the head of Hamas, not on the head of Israel. The Israelis are dropping, you know, dumb bombs on the, the top of buildings to let people know that the buildings can be targeted and give them time to get out. It's dropping leaflets mm. to tell the civilians where they're going to attack next. I mean, we don't do that. No, no army in the world does what Israel does to protect human life because that's a Judeo-Christian value and it's a Judeo value, value of Judaism that uh, the Israelis practice because they want to limit human suffering. They want to limit civilian casualties, and yet the, the far left claims are, they're involved in genocide. I mean, it's just a, it's a sickness, it's, it's anti-Semitic, it's a, it's a real terrible thing that we're seeing. Yeah, well said, Robert O'Brien, well said. Um, Wall Street Journal editorial today, Iran is not impressed by America's airstrikes. You know, there's this business, they've hit us 50 times, Iran and their proxies, and we've just had a couple of pinpricks, and I don't know why and I talked to Keen about this uh, on the show uh, yesterday or Thursday, whenever. You know, why don't we hit back? Why don't we hit back harder, Robert O'Brien? 
Look, there's been a philosophy with the, this administration, and it goes back to the Obama administration where President Biden served as vice president, where all his diplomats served, Lincoln, Sullivan, all these guys served in the Obama administration. They really believe that the key to Middle East peace is Iran. And they, they believe they can change Iran if they, if they just give the Iranians enough money, enough respect, show enough restraint, that the Iranians will, will go from being these theocratic killers who you know, hang gays and lesbians from, from cranes and throw them off buildings and, and slaughter women who don't want to wear hijabs. I mean, for a, for a group that in the White House that claims he's so pro-women and pro-LGBT, they, they, they just want to make friends with the most anti-women, anti-LGBT regime in the world. That it, it's also anti-Semitic, hates Israel and hates America. But they, they think that if they reach, as President Obama said, if they reach out their hand, Iran will unclench their fist. And uh, give them six billion in ransom here, seventy billion in sanctions relief there, one hundred and fifty billion, and they'll, they'll take it and build a middle class in Iran. The Iranians that they're friends with here, the, who are great Americans and, and came over after the Shah fell, are not the same Iranians who are in, in charge of you know the, the government, the regime in Tehran. And, and they just need to learn that Iran's not that into us. They're going to continue to kill us, kill our soldiers, injure them, and try and drive us out of the Middle East, and then try and take over the entire Middle East. There's, there's no negotiating. There's no compromise with the with the Iranian regime. It's brutal. It's thuggish. And uh, it wants to conquer the Middle East and, and kick us out. And, and until the Biden administration understands that, we're not going to have any change in policy. But even today, even after the Hamas attacks, even after the attacks on our, our soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines in the region, they're, they're still reaching out, trying to trying to somehow reach an accord with the Ayatollahs and the Mullahs. And it's not going to happen. They're just not that into us, Larry. Yeah, they're just not that into us. You're absolutely right. Um, you know, you tr the Trump national security team took out Soleimani, told the Mullahs you had their cell phone numbers. I mean, Iran didn't strike back because they were broke. But that's the other point. Uh, the the billions keep pouring in. There's the sanctions are still at this point. Nothing has happened. No ships have been interdict, interdicted or impounded. They're still selling uh, three and a half million some odd barrels of oil a day. Most of it going to China. They've still run up their foreign exchange reserves. We've done nothing to punish Iran during this period. Iran's gotten rich, Larry. When we left office in a large part because of your efforts uh, and those of the Treasury, we, Iran had $4 billion in foreign currency reserves. They could barely operate their economy. Today they have $70 billion in foreign reserves. They're, they're rich. Iran's gotten rich. In three years, it's become a very rich terrorist country. And what do they do with the money? They, they give it to the Houthis in Yemen to launch missiles in Saudi Arabia and UAE and, and Israel, our friends. They give it to Khatib Hezbollah in Iraq to kill American soldiers and injure them. They give it to Hamas to slaughter Jews. They give it to Syria and Bashar al-Assad's regime. They develop nuclear weapons. They develop ballistic missile programs. None of this money that they're getting is going to the Iranian middle class or to help the people of Iran. And and this has all happened in, in, in just three years. And so it's it's been an abject failure. And uh, it's, it's, it's got to stop. We've got to go back to Easter strength. We've got to stop. We've got to put maximum pressure back on the Iranians or, or they're just going to continue in this malign activity. You think they're talking right now? Keen Keen mentioned this on the show. He's, I mean, he was uh, up in arms about it the way you are. Um, and Keen said, well, he didn't know if they were talking to Iran. Um, I don't see any evidence that they're talking to Iran. I mean, Blinken 
is, you know, flying all over the world doing his best imitation of Henry Kissinger's shuttle diplomacy. But there's no evidence. There's no discussion. Qatar, yes, but Iran, I mean, you think there are conversations going on between the United States well, and Iran right now? Yeah, the, the good news is Rob Malley, who is the biggest appeaser of Iran, and yeah. is such an appeaser he'd make, you know, Neville Chamberlain blush, <laughs> uh, is out of, out of office. So that's good news. But all of his people are still there. And they've been talking to Iran. They talked to Iran when, when they were out of office. When President Trump was there, we found out that John Kerry and others were talking to Iran. Hmm. John Kerry is close to the Iranians. Uh, you know, the, the, the whole administration has had this. Not only have they talked to Iran, they begged Iran. They, they get on bended knees to the Iranians and beg them to come to talks and, 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 and engage in negotiations. They pay them to engage in negotiations. They, they pay them massive ransom payments for hostages. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if in Switzerland or in Qatar, they're talking to the Iranians, but if they're not talking directly to the Iranians, they're telling the Swiss and they're telling the, the Qataris to please have the Iranians come back to the table. I mean, it's this unrequited love that I don't understand with the Democrats. They've got this this fixation and fascination with Iran and then just believe they can change them. And mm. as we know, you know, you can't change people. And uh, mm. at least you can't change the Iranians. And this, this it, it, it actually makes us look pathetic and weak. The Iranians sense that, and they continue to, to target our soldiers. They continue to target Israel, and they continue to target our allies in the Gulf. And until we stand up to them, that, that activity is not going to change. I mean, uh, you know, the political scientist Walter Reed Russell, uh, Walter Reed Russell, uh, who writes for the Wall Street Journal some great columns. I mean, he he said Iran is unappeasable. They're unappeasable. You can't buy them. They don't, you know, money doesn't mean anything. They just use it for more terrorist war. Uh, deterrence is what's necessary. And yet, where's the deterrence? Well, there's, there's zero deterrence. The only deterrence we got is the Israelis. And this goes back to the, the top of your question, Larry. The Israelis are doing a great job. They're going to take out Hamas. Yeah. Iran has, has two, big, two big points of leverage against Israel, Hamas and Hezbollah. And they, they overplayed their hand. They never thought the Israelis would show the resolve that they had. To get, they, the Iranians totally misjudged the judicial protests in, in Israel and thought that Israel was divided and wouldn't rally and wouldn't be able to take out Hamas. The Israelis are going to take out Hamas root and branch, which they've shown, and they're going to get, get it done very quickly. Hamas is going to be totally neutralized. And then it's no surprise that Hezbollah is now saying, hey, wait a minute. You know, we're not doing anything. We're not. We're not dictated to by Iran. We're not going to. We're not going right. to get to war with Israel because right. they don't want. The, they don't want the same thing to happen to them up in Lebanon that's happening in Hamas right now. And, oh, great point. Gaza. Great so point. The, the deterrence that we're seeing is coming from Israel, not from the U.S., which is sad. Yes. And uh, the U.S. The U.S. ought to tell the Iranians if they they bomb one more time if their proxies bomb one of our bases or kill one of our soldiers or contractors in the region. They're going to pay a heavy price. That's the only thing the Iranians understand. The reason they can't be a peace lawyer is they've got a messianic ideology. They want to usher in the return of the 12th Mahdi. That's that's their goal. Mm. It's the equivalent of us, those of us who are Christian who want the Jesus Christ to return to the earth. They mm. they think that if they create chaos in the Middle East, if they export their Shia messianic ideology throughout the region and throughout the world, they can usher in the return of the 12th Mahdi. It's very difficult to negotiate with, with people that have that view. They, they, mm. These aren't, you know, they're not rational human beings. They're, mm. you know, they're, they're, they're driven Indeed. by a religious fervor that can't be a, a, appeased. And so until the Biden administration and their diplomats understand that, we're not going to be 
you know, we're, we're not going to have any success in the region. What they do understand is they understand maximum pressure, and they understand that the United States of America isn't going to put up with our soldiers being killed, and we'll take we want bomb an abandoned ammo dump that they they, they laughed about. Instead, they'll understand that. Uh, Let's take a break. We'll take the kind of action the Trump administration took, and, and Let's you know, take they, a break. They, they, Let's take a quick break. We, I need you for a couple more minutes on the other side of the break. Folks, Ambassador Robert O'Brien, former National Security Advisor during the Trump administration. He's now chairman of American Global Strategies. We need him back in office to to solve these problems. I'm Kudlow. We'll take a quick break and come back. Might even ask him a question about these meetings coming up with China. Oh, my God. Biden and Xi, China. What's going to happen there? I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back. Larry Kudlow, from Wall Street to the White House. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. On Veterans Day, we are talking to Ambassador Robert O'Brien, former National Security Advisor in the Trump administration, now Chairman of American Global Strategies. Robert, um, it's a scary thought at this point in time, but President Biden will be meeting with China President Xi, this coming week, I don't know, Wednesday, Thursday in San Francisco. And um, I just kind of wonder if Taiwan's going to come up. I don't know. Biden is so afraid to pick a fight on any subject. China, by the way, financing Iran and this war by their oil purchases. I don't know whether Biden will mention that, like interdict ships or impound ships. And then there's the question of is the United States strong enough? Do we have a strong enough Navy? I know that's a subject that interests you. Can you give us a little bit of a look-see at these uh, China-U.S. talks? Well, what worries me is that we're going to go back to the appeasement toolkit that uh, the Biden administration loves. We tried to appease the Taliban and it ended up in a catastrophic withdrawal from Afghanistan. We tried to appease Putin. We gave him Nord Stream 2. We shut down our own Keystone Pipeline and gave Putin Nord Stream 2 told him if he just made a minor incursion into Ukraine, that would be okay. And what did we get? We got a war in Ukraine. We tried to appease Iran, paid him $6 billion for hostages. And within you know three weeks of that, uh, 200 Israeli and American hostages were, were taken by Hamas, and Israel was invaded. And now we've got China watching this thing saying, hey, wait a minute, Russia invaded Ukraine, no consequences economically. You, you and I called for the sanction of the Russian Federation Central Bank before the invasion. Mm. As it tried to deter the Russians, mm. the, the administration didn't do it. They still haven't done it, even with the whole war raging in Ukraine. The Chinese flooded a spy balloon across the entire country, stopped and lingered over our nuclear sites, our ICBM silos, our Air Force bases, our submarine pens in Georgia, took pictures, got all the intelligence they wanted. And what did we do? We sent four cabinet secretaries. And so now in the run-up to this meeting with, with President Biden, Gavin Newsom, who may take over for Biden, we don't know, but... Uh, he certainly wants to. The governor of California went to China and thought it was acted like it was 19 and you know 99 and uh, hmm. and uh, partied with Xi and told him how you know, we needed to get along with China and everything was great between the two countries and didn't bring up the Uyghurs, didn't bring up the democracy protesters in Hong Kong, didn't bring up the threats to Taiwan, uh, didn't bring up Tibet and the Dalai Lama and the genocide there. And, uh, and now we've got Biden going in on the heels of his cabinet secretaries going to Beijing and making pilgrimages. We saw your friend Janet Yellen nodding <laughs> like a bobblehead to, to Xi when she met him. You know, I think she bowed to him six, six times. And he, 
he, he, he isn't going to get that from his communist party guys who want promotions. And, uh, you know, so, so the, the tendency of this administration is total appeasement. And so I worry going into the APEC summit in San Francisco and the, the bilateral meetings on the sidelines of that with Xi that you know, Biden's going to go back to the appeasement handbook. And we know what mm-hmm. appeasement leads to. It leads to it's, it's temporarily popular. It gives you some temporary relief. But as Churchill said, that the consequences travel with you long down the road. And the, and the cup that you eventually have to drink is much more bitter than the one you'd have to face if you just, mm. just stood tall and stood your ground against these authoritarians and dictators. Um, two things on this. That was a good rundown, but two things. One is this point that China is buying Iranian oil uh, and thereby financing the terrorist war. I mean, China's hands are very dirty here. We haven't done a bloody thing about it. We've never, our, you know, Biden administration, diplomats, Blinken, uh, Blinken floating now, he was in India, South Korea, and then say a word about that. Not a single word about that. Uh, and the other thing, Robert, is uh, military preparedness uh, and the issue of what would we do? Are we in any posture to uh, defend, you know, I mean, the sea lanes, uh, throughout that area are so important to world commerce. Do we have the Navy to do that? Well, yeah, first question, it's not just the, the Iranian oil sales to China. Just a that minute, are one minute the, left. The, the, the Iran war, it's the Iranian, it's, it's the Chinese purchases of the Russian oil. It's keeping mm, Russia yes. afloat. China, yes. China is literally keeping Russia afloat in the fight against Ukraine and keeping Iran afloat in the fight against the U.S. and Israel. And, and they are going after the U.S. So the Chinese have very dirty hands here. They're, they're supporting them. And it, and it ties into your question about Taiwan, because if, if they can tie up enough U.S. military forces, and we've got two carrier groups now in the Middle East, that leaves things wide open for, for Xi to take Taiwan. Hmm. So we've got to be very careful and watch, keep an eye on what's happening. And we, we don't have the military we need. We don't have the Navy we need to search the Chinese. And hmm. Xi's watching us, and he's, he's occupying us in other areas. And I, I'm very concerned about Taiwan. All right. Robert O'Brien, thank you ever so much. Former National Security Advisor for Trump, American Global Strategies. I'm Kudlow, folks. We'll take a break. It's the Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Larry Kudlow. Hour two, Larry Kudlow Show. By the way, you can get us on the Internet. LarryKudlowShow.com, LarryKudlowShow.com, live stream internet all around the country, throughout the world, and the solar system, including the Milky Way. So, away from the war, House uh, Oversight Chair Jamie Comer uh, has subpoenaed pretty much everybody in the Biden family. Hunter Biden, Robert Biden, Sarah Biden, all these little Bidens, and he is along. Bank checks don't lie. So let's talk about where Mr. Comer's uh, influence peddling bribery uh, impeachment inquiry is going. We bring in the great Greg Jarrett, Fox News legal analyst, best-selling author, new book, the new book, Constitution of the United States and other patriotic documents. Uh, Greg, thank you for doing this as always. 
So um, it's a long laundry list. <laughs> you can you can run through it if you want to, but I guess I got to ask you: Are they going to show up? That's the first question. Will they show up to testify? These people. Uh, I would bet all the money in my wallet, and I don't have much, uh, <laughs> that they won't. I mean, Hunter Biden's lawyer uh, immediately issued a statement saying, oh, my client's eager to testify. And then he wrote a caveat at the right time, mm. which means translation never. There's <laughs> never going to be a right time for Hunter Biden to testify. He'll resist with all kinds of demands and delay tactics and vacuous excuses, because, frankly, Hunter has no way out of his suspected crimes except to lie about it under oath, which would constitute even more crimes and put him in further jeopardy. But the problem, Larry, for the committee is that Congress has no power to enforce subpoenas. Only Joe Biden's own, uh, own Justice Department can do that. So, you know, Dad's department ain't going to lift a finger. The, the Department of Justice and the FBI have been running a protection racket for the Bidens. I mean, just look at the testimony of the IRS whistleblowers and other people that the FBI have come forward. So, you know, you can expect the Attorney General Merrick Garland uh, to dither, uh, even though he moved very quickly against anybody connected to Donald Trump. And, and moreover, Comer is asking for voluntary interviews of all the other Bidens, uh, some of whom you just named. That ain't going to happen. The family has this phalanx strategy of delay, deflect, and obstruct. They don't want to be forced to testify under oath, uh, to cough up incriminating testimony of obvious influence peddling, tax evasion, money laundering, bribery, foreign lobby, lobbying crimes. And you know, I must say, it's clear Joe Biden was directly involved. Uh, he was complicit. Uh, the evidence is there, and that puts a complete lie to his repeated claims he knew nothing, wasn't involved. Well, he was. Mm. Uh, the evidence of his involvement is clear. But, you know, you've got Democrats like Jamie Raskin who continue to falsely claim, oh, gee, uh, Joe Biden did nothing wrong. Neither did any of the other Bidens, uh, despite the tens of millions in overseas cash funneled into Biden-controlled accounts. So, you know, Chairman Comer is facing an uphill battle, Larry. With checks, though. He's got checks. Yeah, he has checks. I mean... And, and <laughs> the, at least one of the checks... Uh, is exactly 10% for the big guy, <laughs> which was the remuneration that that was so famous in the laptop email, 10% for the big guy, and that was Chinese cash that was funneled into Joe Biden's personal account. Greg, uh, walk through, if you will, because this is key point. So, uh, Comer subpoenaed uh, they don't show up. What's the congressional penalty, and why isn't that enforced? In other words, it goes from the oversight committee to the Justice Department, but I'm not sure people understand that. Yeah, I mean, it's a separation of powers. Uh, Congress is the legislative branch. Uh, they pass laws. They also, under the Constitution, conduct 
investigation into wrongdoing within their own branch, within the executive branch. Uh, But the most they can do is to vote to hold Hunter Biden and other Bidens in contempt for defying their subpoenas. But they don't have prosecutorial power. That is uh, the judicial uh, branch uh, that would make a decision on a petition by the Department of Justice, uh, the executive branch. But that's controlled by Joe Biden and Merrick Garland. And they're, you know, they're not going to do it. They're happy to do it if, you, you know, if your name is Donald Trump or anybody who is connected to Donald Trump. Uh, but, you know, they will drag their feet and do nothing uh, when it pertains to the Biden investigation because they're protecting their boss. Mm. What happens, though, now, Hunter Biden, um, he's going he's to have a jury trial in Wilmington, Delaware, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Weiss is the special prosecutor. Weiss, who kind of weaseled his way through his own uh, hearings, private hearings, uh, with uh, Comer and the committee. Uh, Hunter Biden's, you know, he's still on the hook, right? He's still got big problems. Yeah, he absolutely has big problems, but frankly, it pales in comparison. Uh, to the other suspected crimes, and there is compelling evidence of those crimes. So, you know, he faces gun charges, um, which, by the way, I expect David Weiss to produce a very uh, lackluster prosecution on that, or in the alternative, to cut him uh, a new deal, a new sweetheart deal. Um, But... But, you know, um, it, as I say, it pales in comparison to the other suspected crimes of influence peddling, which is bribery under federal law, 18 U.S.C. 201, mm. tax evasion, tax fraud. And, of course, they were using uh, the overseas cash. Um, they were depositing it into these LLCs and shell companies and then moving the money around and the only explanation for that was to hide it. Well, that's money laundering under mm. our law. It could also be conspiracy, even racketeering. Uh, so, and, and why in the world, uh, five years ago, Hunter Biden wasn't charged under FARA with foreign lobbying crimes, which are felonies, is just mystifying. I mean, that's a totally easy one uh, that, that should have been charged within a month or two. But here we are, six years out, and no such charges have been filed. You know, when when Weiss appeared before the Judiciary Committee behind closed doors this week, he said, oh, yeah, yeah, all these other potential crimes are still on the table. Right. Trump's, you know, uh, Trump's former campaign manager, Paul Manafort, was thrown in jail for several years for not registering on that, that Foreign Registration Act, right? Yeah, I mean, it was pretty clear that Manafort uh, was repre- representing foreign entities um, and lobbying on their, their behalf. Well, that's exactly what Hunter Biden was doing with Ukraine and Russia and China and Kazakhstan and Romania and all the countries over which his own father uh, held foreign policy influence as vice president of the United States. 
Hunter was obviously lobbying for things. Uh, the Ukraine uh, debacle is, is the most perfect example of that. And yet he's never been charged with FARA felonies. Hmm. Uh, the, the only explanation is the fix is in. Sure, sure. Greg Jarrett, Fox News legal analyst. On your book, The Constitution of the United States and Other Patriotic Documents, I want to sell a book, your favorite other patriotic document, 30 seconds. Well, there are many to choose from. I, I think one of the things I add in the book is the secret letter from Albert Einstein sent to FDR. Ooh. Uh, Ooh. Warning him, the Nazis are attempting to develop this new and frighteningly powerful weapon, an atomic bomb. Huh. I include that letter because it triggered the covert operation by the U.S. to build its own atomic weapon oh. in a highly classified Manhattan project. Oh. Fascinating. But the book is filled with fascinating letters and documents and addresses. That's a fabulous one. I think each week I'm going to ask you this question so we can go okay. through it. It's fantastic. Greg Jarrett, the best of the best, Fox News legal analyst. And the name of the book is The Constitution of the United States and Other Patriotic Documents. Thank you, Greg. Folks, quick break. Other side of the break. Guess what? A blue chip bunch of economists from Ivy League University said Donald Trump's Corporate tax cuts worked brilliantly. We'll have Mike Falkender, ace, former Treasury chief economist. I'm Kudlow. Stick around, folks. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. Now, back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. Let's turn to some economics and tax policy. The Trump tax cuts front and center in the last week. We're going to bring in Michael Falkender, professor of finance, University of Maryland, America First Policy Institute Chief Economist and the former Assistant Secretary for Economic Policy at the U.S. Treasury under the Trump administration. All right, Michael, hang on. A guilt-edged panel of experts. Oh, my God. Harvard, Princeton, <laughs> University of Chicago, and the U.S. Treasury write up a study of the Trump corporate tax cuts for the National Bureau of Economic Research. Take a deep breath. Oh, my God. They concluded, hang on, they concluded the corporate tax cuts from Trump generated more business investment, more growth, more wages for workers, and no government revenue impact whatsoever. Actually, Laffer argued last night, and so did Kevin Hassett, that revenues went up. But what do you make of that, Mr. Falk? This is the Ivy League says yes to Trump's corporate tax cuts. Oh, my God. Indeed, Larry. I mean, you look at the fact that we created incentives for businesses to actually increase investment here in the United States to bring back a lot of the money that they had moved into their overseas activities due to the you know, previously highest corporate income tax rate in the developed world. And shockingly, we find out yet again that incentives matter, that if you encourage economic activity here in the United States, you're going to get more of it. And so, yes, there is a, a recent working paper that's come out, as you said, by a number of noted economists who have uh, access to, to actual tax return data uh, because, you know, there is a university, there's a U.S. Treasury co-author on it. So they actually have business tax returns that they can use to see what was the change in economic activity that resulted and indeed find that we, we got the types of um, improvements in economic activity that 
people like Kevin Hassett and you were advocating at the time that the president enacted the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. So these guys must be gr clenching their teeth. I mean, this is an acknowledgement that Trump got it right. <laughs> I, I'm going to argue, I mean, even today, with all the anti-business regulatory and tax stuff and spending that Biden has done and the crazy Green New Deal and the regulatory assault, the only real source of stimulus is the Trump tax cut. On the, yeah, on the supply side, you're absolutely right. Unfortunately, we have way too much demand side stimulus coming from the out of control spending that's going on, in, in continuing with Biden's Green New Deal that he enacted. But in terms of supply side, the only thing we've got is the Trump tax cuts that are still in place. Fortunately, those rate cuts for the business sides were permanent. But as we've discussed, the capital expensing provisions are slowly on a, yeah. a phase out period until 2025. Uh, and then when you look at small businesses, the pass-through exemption also uh, expires in 2025. So it's incredibly important that the next Congress and the next administration extend those provisions so that we can continue to have this type of domestic encouragement of business activity here. Uh, and then, of course, we need to just completely undo the massive regulatory incursion uh, all over the economy that we've seen under the uh, unleashed by the Biden administration. Yeah, Mike Falconer, I forgot. You're right. The small business deduction does expire in 25, doesn't it? It does. That's, yeah. that's very bad. That's very bad. Right. Because, uh, you know, if, if businesses take money and reinvest it, if they are if they're corporations, then they just confront the 21 percent corporate income tax rate. And then the rest of it, they can go ahead and reinvest. On the business side, if money gets reinvested because it's a pass-through, you know, then you're subject to the marginal rates of the individual and uh, small business owners. And so those can be well in excess of, you know, 30, 35, up to 37 percent. Mm. And that's just the federal level, right? Then you've got the state income taxes on top of that. So in some parts of the country, you're looking at if businesses want to reinvest, about half of the marginal in income goes to pay taxes. They can only reinvest about half of it. Creates an enormous um, benefit to the larger companies to the detriment of the smaller ones. And, and mm. you know, it, it's funny to always listen to the Bidens complain about um, about these big companies, and yet their their practices do everything to actually make it more difficult for small businesses to compete with the larger organizations. That's true on tax policy. And that's true, of course, on regulatory policy, because whether you're serving a thousand customers or a million customers, to a large extent, complying with government regulation just requires, you know, putting in place processes and filling out forms. And the cost is the same, irrespective of how many customers you can spread mm -hmm. it out over. So everything we're seeing is pushing more and more towards helping big businesses, despite their claims that they're trying to help the small businesses that are out there. We really need to provide small business relief on the regulatory and the tax side. Uh, Mike Falconer, last one. Uh, Jay Powell gave a speech, uh, I don't know, Thursday or whatever in Washington yep. when he wasn't being heckled by climate people. Uh, Close the effing door. But um, he basically said uh, inflation is not conquered. They're not confident that they're going to get to 2%. And he left the door open for rate hikes next year. What do you make of it? 
you know, it wasn't just Powell who said that on Thursday. The other person who I think said something was Ken Griffin at Citadel. Mm. His remarks that inflation could be here to stay for a while because with the – with all the fiscal deficits that we're running, it's just going to put even more pressure on the Fed to keep increasing the money supply and to partially monetize some of the debt out there. With all of the regulatory costs that are going on and some of the geopolitical challenges around the world, all of those things have the potential to be inflationary. And so that suggests that rates that inflation may not get back to Powell's target, right. keeping rates higher. Mike Falkender, America First Policy Institute Chief Economist. Former head economist of the U.S. Treasury Department. Thank you, Michael. Folks, a quick break. And then the other side, we're going to do some stock market work. A little early today. I'm Kudlow. Veterans Day. God bless our veterans. From Wall Street to the White House, this is The Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're here on Veterans Day. God bless our veterans. And let me just say, Red Apple Audio Network listeners, please support veterans and their families this Veterans Day by donating to the Tunnel to Towers Foundation. All you have to do is go to wabcradio.com slash T2T to donate. The Tunnel to Towers Foundation do all they can to support the veterans of our great country. Please show your support for them this Veterans Day and go to wabcradio.com slash T2T, and please donate. All right. Important day, Veterans Day. Anyway, we're going to do some stock market work on Veterans Day. We've got Stephanie Link, Chief Investment Strategist of Hightower Advisors and Head of Investment Solutions, and Nancy Tengler, CEO and Chief Investment Officer of Laffer Tengler investments so ladies night out thank you very much appreciate it kids nice week uh, kind of good day yesterday almost up 400 points on the dow weekly gain of 222 uh jay powell when he was not cussing out uh climate activists closed the effing door i love that it's one of his best things in all his term all prices soft Short-term rates way up. Powell issued a warning. I think we're going to see big economics slow down. The curve is still inverted. All these things floating around. Stephanie Link, I begin with you. Master strategist and investor that you are. What's going on out there? Well, first and foremost, we always worry about things out there, right? I mean, the market always climbs a wall of worry. And I have always said that I worry when I don't worry, because that means I'm complacent. So there are a lot of concerns out there, as you mentioned. And last week, yes, we ended on a high note. We, we, we consolidated a bit because we actually rallied 6% from the lows. And that was tied to interest rates pulling back, right? And interest rates pulled back because Inflation has, I think, peaked, and it looks like it has peaked. If you look at CPI, PCE, look at unit labor costs, look at productivity, one of your favorite metrics, Larry, all of these things point to we are making progress. We're not where the Fed wants it to be, but I think actually on the margin, they are less hawkish because they see inflation is coming down. At the same time, the economy has held in, and that's tied directly to jobs. 
I look at initial claims, not non-farm payrolls, but I look at initial claims, and the four-week moving average is at 210,000. Recessionary periods, that number gets to 375,000. So we're not in a, a recession like people thought we would be at the beginning of this year. We're hanging in there. The stimulus continues to provide momentum, particularly on the industrial infrastructure side of things. If inflation has peaked and rates have peaked, that's actually pretty good for stocks. Now, I'm just thinking between now and the end of the year, we can rally based on what I just said, especially since earnings are better. 2024, I think it's going to be harder. Harder. Yeah, it's always harder. Yeah. Uh, Short-term rates went up quite a bit. <clears throat> 22 basis points on the two-year note, back to 506. The T-bill is 540. The 10-year is 465. That's uh, my math is decent. 75 basis point inversion, Nancy Tangler. Inverted yield curves generally lead recessions by about a year. We're going to have a recession next year, Nancy Tangler? Mm -hmm. Well, it's good to be on with you and Stephanie, Larry. And thanks for your opening. It was um, the Veterans Day opening was excellent. Um, I wrote a piece last last week or right after the last time I was on um, that this market is analogous in my view to the 1990s when I actually was alive and managing money. Uh, and what we had was a situation where we had higher rates. They um, averaged between five and 8% during the decade. We had higher inflation than, than the Fed's target. We were above 3% for most of the decade. And we had uh, war and recession. And yet the markets managed to turn in pretty re remarkable results with the S&P and Dow, both well above 400% for the decade and the NASDAQ above 800. So I had written at the beginning of this year that I thought we, that investors were way too pessimistic about <clears throat> stocks, that that has been mostly right. But then previous to that, in May, we, we argued that we didn't think we'd see a recession um, in May of 2022. Sorry. And that has proven to be correct. Next year is a different story, though. What I heard during earnings season, and I would love to know what Stephanie thinks, um, was that companies were actually in, particularly in technology where we're overweighted, but they were raising uh, guidance and also margins. M m more than a majority of S&P companies actually saw their margins expand. Could be the great Trump tax cuts, uh, corporate tax cuts. Yeah. I don't know, but yeah. um, I, I think that um, the, the odds of a recession are certainly increasing, but I'm sort of in the, you know, Ed Yardani rolling recession. We'll see. Um, we, we are going to see slowing uh, economic growth, but I don't know that we get all the way into a recession. Nancy, you've got two kids in the military. I have one. Thank you so one. much for remembering that. Yeah, he's. Right. Uh, but I thought you had uh, didn't. I thought you had two kids. Went to Naval Academy. Just one. Yeah. Oh, just the other one, one um, played, decided not to play basketball there, and she went somewhere else. So. How How's your boy doing? Where is he? He's in Jack's. He's waiting for his next promotion um, mm. that's obviously stalled in. He, he would be going to work for someone who needs to be promoted. Um, so, mm. you know, it's it, the implications of, of all of that. Never easy. Politics are messy, but yeah. there's a lot of lives on hold, for, certainly in the military. But we thank him for his service. We thank him for his thank service. Thank you. On Veterans Day. So, Stephanie, uh, all right, so tech looks a little better. You know what's interesting here? 
it just occurs to me, you've got this uh, terrible war in Israel. I mean, the IDF, they're going to they're gonna mop up. They're not going to listen to Biden and Blinken, and they're just going to mop up, and they're going to annihilate Hamas, which is a setback for Iran. But what hasn't happened, the dog that didn't bark, Stephanie, was mm. the, um, you know, Arab oil embargo, $150 oil. Never happened. In fact, it's interesting to me, Steph, uh, both crude and the world wholesale markets, you know, Brent crude, but also retail gasoline's coming down. I think that's interesting. I don't know what it means exactly, but it may mean, uh, you know, big drop off in demand. It could be. It could also be uh, just excess supplies that we're not buying uh, the SPR that like we should be buying. We should never have actually released it to begin with. <clears throat> Excuse me. But I would say that on the flip side, I'll, I'll just turn it positively because, you know, that's the way I kind of roll. Um, gasoline is down 40 cents in the past year. Yeah. And that equates to $54 billion in potential additional consumption by the consumer. And so for me, I go back to the consumer. They have jobs. They have wages. I know wages have come down, but they're still pretty elevated. Now you have a tailwind of gasoline. Remember not too long ago, a couple of weeks ago, retail sales came in better than expected. I think the consumer is okay. Um, and that's a big part of our economy, a 70% of GDP. Uh, and I, I, have, I will tell you, in, in my 32 years in this business, I, I, I've never been right when I have bet against the consumer, the U.S. consumer. We are a nation of spenders, whether we have <clears throat> had cash, we have its savings, or we take on debt. And for now, they're hanging in there. And that leaves me pretty optimistic. And then again, as I mentioned earlier, along with manufacturing, you know, you look at the Atlanta Fed GDP tracker, Larry, and while we had 4.9% growth in the third quarter, everyone thought, oh, that's one off and we're going to be, you know, in maybe flat to up one. We're running up 2.1% now, and it's certainly early into the into the quarter. Um, just a quick comment on, uh, from, on, um, on Nancy's comments, which I totally agree with on earnings. They have actually held in remarkably well. The revisions are going higher. You, ta you taught us all a long, long time ago that, that stocks follow profit on the yeah. way up and on the way down. And numbers are going higher. 82% of companies have beat earnings. And yeah. Uh, again, yeah, yeah, margins have stayed elevated. And that's also not only tax cuts, I would say it's also because we are, we are lean and mean and we reorganize and restructure very quickly when we need to. And so Listen. that's why, that's why the, the U.S. market gets a higher multiple than any other country in the world. Profits are the mother's yeah. milk of stocks. And I agree with your point. <laughs> you're, you're both right. Profits are the mother's milk of stocks and the lifeblood of the economy. I, I agree. I mean, objectively speaking, I think the key point was how many years? 32 years? That was really yeah. the key point. She's a babe. She's a young babe. Do you know, uh, I started at the Federal Reserve Bank of New York 50 plus years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't even do the arithmetic. 1973, okay? I left Princeton grad school and I went to the New York Fed and they stuck me in open market operations. I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> uh, but you know, uh, Nancy, it is interesting uh, on the profit side. I mean, look, uh, one of the inputs to corporate uh, operations is uh, energy. And 79% uh, of our energy still comes from fossil fuels. 
and the price of fossil fuels is easing down. It is easing down. Despite uh, Dingbat Biden's policies, uh, it's easing down. I mean, we're producing just less than 13 uh, million barrels a day. We should be at 15, yeah. but we're, we're at, I think the number, the last number I saw was 12.8, 12.9. Um, but uh, I think that's, a, I think Stephanie's right. I think it's right for consumers uh, but I think it's right for businesses, right? Businesses need power. And mm -hmm. right now, yeah. you know, it's power is too high relative to three years ago, but at least it's easing back down. And I'm keeping right. an eye on that story because I think that's, um, you know, it's a positive. It's a positive. Mm -hmm. You know what else is super interesting? Um, I think Stephanie would agree with this, too. One of the things you learn in this business is who to listen to after you've been in it for her 32 years and my 40 uh, and I listen when Brian Reynolds um, publishes work, and he just did a piece on inventories. He did uh, estimated the combined inventories of all S and P 500 companies, and inventories are up dramatically, up 21 percent over three years ago to 78 and a half days. Asset inventory turnover has declined by a full point, and I think that is going to be the story that we hear in the fourth quarter and going forward, that that's going to put downward pressure on prices for the consumer mm. uh, as well. I agree with Stephanie. And then don't forget net worth, because these um, these consumers have much higher net worth than they had pre-pandemic, and people do spend out of net worth, especially if they're working. And net debt worth. servicing levels are not super high either. They're much below the 80s and the great financial crisis. Well, net worth is about $150 trillion. I love that. Yeah. By the way, yeah. for the debt mongers out there, net worth, uh, debt in public hands is about $26, 27000000000000 trillion. So as a percentage of net worth, it's, you know, it's less than 25%, I think. So I don't get that excited about all this debt craziness and credit mm -hmm. card craziness. I mean, I, I don't think it's yeah. insane. I don't think it's insane. Um, let's take a break. Let's take a break. Then we can talk about Fed policy. We are talking to two of the best of the best, two old friends of mine, by the way, Stephanie Link, Chief Investment Strategist of Hightower Investors, Head of Investment Solutions, Nancy Tangler, CEO and Chief Investment Officer of Laffer Tangler Investments. And we thank her son for his service on Veterans Day. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back. Larry Kudlow. Now back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're talking stocks with uh, we've got uh, Stephanie Link. Wait a second. I got to get all your titles in here. Stephanie Link, uh, Chief Investment Strategist of Hightower Advisors, Head of Investment Solutions, Nancy Tangler, CEO and CIO of Laffer Tangler Investments. I don't mean to belittle any of that because you're all working hard. Um, I had a thing on the TV show I wanted to share and get your take. You know, uh, you, you all are fairly constructive on the market outlook. Um, a new poll from Bankrate and YouGov shows that 50% of voters think their financial situation has gotten worse, only 21% improved, and 26% unchanged. So people are rather pessimistic out there. And I do want to add that the Michigan Consumer, uh, Consumer Survey did fall again second straight month, and inflation fears did jump up again in that survey for the second straight month. Um, Nancy, what do you make of those kinds of numbers? People are, it's funny, there's a, there's a lot of pessimism out there. Now, some of this is political. 
They don't like Biden. They've given up on the guy, blah, blah, blah. But um, I don't know. Their financial situation is their financial situation, and they don't seem happy about it. Yeah, well, I think you nailed it, Larry. I think it's the Kudlow CPI, food and energy up 6.6%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what, that's what people think about when, they, you know, when they're living their lives. They go fill up, even with gas prices coming in. Um, and, you know, food is still very expensive. Mm. And, uh, and, and, you know, we, we talk about the changes in inflation, um, but, but that doesn't mean it goes away. You know, CPI is up, what, 18, 20 percent since, mm-hmm. since we went on this journey. So I, I do think, you know, I, it's been very disappointing um, to watch this Fed. I, I've been pretty vocal about it. Um, we get these talking points and then the market goes into a spin. So when that happens, I go back and look at the dot plot in September of 2021, where they were projecting rate increases on average of about 1% in 2023 and 2% in 2024. So I, I, I take comfort in the fact that they've been pretty much 100% wrong all the way through. And I mm. use that as an opportunity um, to add to holdings that I want to own in the portfolio. <laughs> Just put a minus sign in front of it. But it is interesting. I mean, so yearly inflation has come down, but prices are still up. The key prices, I'm thinking, you're right, groceries Mm -hmm. and even gasoline. Now, gasoline is $3.40, but almost three years ago, it was close to $2.25. So people know that. Um, Grocery prices are up, uh, you're right, about 20%. And of course, you do have the mortgage rates have eased slightly below eight. But Stephanie Link, mortgage rates have gone up quite a bit. Now, you can say compared to the 80s and 90s, mortgage rates are cheap. But, you know, compared to the last 15 years with the zero interest rate policy, mortgage rates have suddenly gotten very expensive. That's what people do feel. And I think that's um, a problem. Well, it is. In the housing market, you, you're seeing kind of the, the two different scenarios play out. On the one hand, new new home sales are up 32% year over year. Uh, and that is a function of the fact that we have a very limited supply. We're 5 million homes short in this country, and we've got 5 million millennials that are just starting to, to buy new homes or their first home. On, a, on the flip side, existing home sales, they've actually been down 16 of the last 18 months. Right. And that's not surprising, given mortgage rates. 92% of the people that own a home have a mortgage under 5% in this country. Why would you ever sell your home with a 3, 4, 5 mortgage and go for a 7 or 8? Of course, that makes all the sense in the world. And that's why interest rates, watching the, 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 the interest rate picture, is so important. I, I will say in the 50 basis points that we've seen in contraction in the 30-year uh, yield in the last month or so, mortgage applications actually went up. And so you can see the direct connection. But we're not out of the woods. Absolutely not. Back on to CPI. CPI has gone from 9.1 to 3.3. Next Tuesday, we get the CPI. It's expected to be 3.3%. I totally agree with both of you. The, I don't look at the core. I mean, we all look at food and, and gasoline. That's how we mm-hmm. live. So the main number, 3.3, three, we've really made a lot of progress. Um, and we'll have to see what owner's equivalent rent uh, does. I think that number is poised to move down. Uh, so that'll be a big yeah. piece of it. Um, I'm also really curious about this sentiment of 50% of voters that think that they're in worse shape, especially yeah. given that wages are 4.5% growth, average is 2 and if you change a job, you get 8%. I suspect a lot of that 
are in the technology industry and in the financial services industry, because those are the two areas that you see in pretty big job cuts. I bet you the 21 percent that are actually feeling better about things are in the services industry, which we know remains on fire. So I think I'd like to know a bit more of that breakdown. Um, but I go the other way. I mean, when everybody's kind of cautious, I kind of want to start looking at the at the glass half full. And again, I, I, I point to jobs. Initial claims is the thing that I'm looking at. And if we start yeah. to inch up higher and higher, that's when I'll get worried. Well, I just think it's interesting on this financial uh, conditions. I mean, look, the Dow is at 34,000 plus. That's a big number. The mm -hmm. S&P is at 4415. That's a big number. Uh, I don't know the exact number, but there's uh, Grover Norquist, uh, there's about 135 million Americans who own retirement accounts with index funds or some kind of stock market. But it's mm -hmm. mostly, mostly, you know, tax advantaged retirement funds, defined contributions, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, how bad can this be? I mean, mm -hmm. it looked real bad last year, right? You were off 20% something at one point. But um, at the moment, I don't know. America's going to survive. That's, uh, how about that? America <laughs> is going to survive on Veterans Day. That's right. The two of you <laughs> are just fabulous, fabulous people. Stephanie Link, thank you ever so much. Nancy Tengler, thank you ever so much. God bless your son. Folks, I'm Cudlow. We're going to take a break. Uh, we'll come back at the new, uh, next hour. John McLaughlin, ace pollster, is going to talk about some of these midterm elections. And um, what is the presidential outlook? I'm Kudlow. It's Veterans Day. We celebrate our nation's veterans. It's the Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow on Veterans Day. Let's begin with this important notice. Red Apple Audio Network listeners, please support veterans and their families this Veterans Day by donating to the Tunnel to Towers Foundation. All you have to do is go to wabcradio.com slash T2T to donate the Tunnel to Towers Foundation do all they can to support the veterans of our great country. Please show your support for them this Veterans Day. Go to wabcradio.com slash T2T and donate. Help our veterans that keep America free and safe, many of whom have given the ultimate sacrifice really over the last couple of hundred years. But uh, this thing began uh, after World War One. But all our veterans, God bless them. Anyway, let's uh, continue our discussions here. My great friend, John McLaughlin, ace pollster, CEO of McLaughlin and Associates. John, welcome, uh, welcome back. I saw Jim, um, there was a notice on Newsmax. But you know, this whole, the mediocre Republicans showing on Tuesday, I mean, it wasn't as bad as it's painted to be. You did good in Suffolk County, and we beat some uh, George Soros prosecutors. But the Virginia thing was disappointing. I don't know, Kentucky, I don't think that Cameron really had a chance to win. Bashir is a very popular uh, governor. He's like a moderate Democrat. But I grow weary, John. My friend Ronna McDaniel, 
You know, they didn't pour money in. They don't have a get out the vote operation. I, I'm not going to blame her for everything, but it's like she has a tenured faculty position. Uh, she's she's not like a Haley Barber or something like that. And I just think you, GOP's got to gear up for 24. That's everything. Trump's going to be the nominee. He's got an excellent chance of beating Biden. I'd like to see a rejuvenated Republican National Committee, John McLaughlin. What do you think? Well, first of all, let me say to all your listeners who are veterans, uh, happy Veterans Day and thank you because my dad was a veteran. I was born in Fort Dix. He passed away last year. He was in the 69th. So it was my Uncle Frank, Uncle Bill, and my Uncle Dave, who was a West Point graduate, just passed away a couple months ago. Uh, mm. But... Uh, so, John, so thanks to all the veterans. But John, my uh, dad, my dad was a World War II vet. My late father, World War II. Yeah. Just yeah, saying. Yeah. No, but we'll, thank you for thank you for that. Thank you for that. So, uh, um, but but to your point, uh, you know the Republicans got to play offense. And yeah. first of all, when you were talking about Long Island, yeah, Long Island, we do all the polling for uh, the, the Nassau County Republican Organization, and they swept everything. Uh, mm -hmm. We took the whole county, leg well, we have 12 out of the seven seats in the county legislature. The supervisors, and these are big towns, Hempstead's like 800,000 people. We reelected mm -hmm. all the Republican incumbents on the board, the supervisor, Clavin, the supervisor, Royce DeBay. Uh, and we won a Democrat town that is 40% Democrat, the 26 Republican, we reelected the supervisor, and we reelected a, a woman who's in the county legislature, Mozzie Phillip, who's uh, an IDF paratrooper. Oh. So they called us anti-Semitic. Boom, we hit him back with that. There's 100,000 more Democrats in Nassau County, and Joe Biden, uh, Joe Biden won the county by 10 points. But for the last three years, the chairman in Nassau, Joe Cairo, plays offense. We went after them on tactics. We went after them on Castle's bail. We went after them on immigration, even. And uh, out in Suffolk County, Ed Romaine went after his opponent as a hokal liberal. Mm. So what was the message in Virginia? What was the message in Kentucky? You know what it is? The Republican establishment refuses to embrace Donald Trump. Yes. They're too yes. busy running yes. down the ratings yes. on the debates. Absolutely. And there's millions and millions of Trump voters waiting to vote. That's why he's ahead in the polls. And and these never Trump country club Republicans won't embrace his his pro growth message. They won't embrace his secure the border message. Mm -hmm. They won't embrace uh, him law and order and the crime. And plus, they don't like the fact that uh, you know when Donald Trump was president, there were no the endless wars were ending, and Iran, China, Russia wouldn't dare cross us. But you know now you got wars in the Middle East in Israel. You got wars in, in Ukraine. These are, you know, and now and Joe Biden is indicting his leading Republican opponent on phony charges. I mean, well, literally the yeah. point one point here, though, when you get these off year elections and mm -hmm. you get these purple states or even red states, low mm -hmm. turnout helps Democrats with a single issue, abortion. OK, right. what Trump would have doubled or tripled the turnout. Right. So that would have yeah. given the GOP right there a better chance yeah. to apply the issues you've just discussed. And I don't think Ronna McDaniels, I don't think any of these committees, maybe Danes, Steve Danes is running the Senate committee. OK, he's good. I'm not sure about the House. I know uh, the Senate, uh, the Mitch McConnell part of the Senate is just dead in the water. 
And um, the RNC's dead in the water, John. And I think you're a thousand percent right, what you just said. You know, yeah. Trump is winning these polls, for Christ's sakes, by 40 and 50 points, and they still won't deal with it. Right. And because Rana, you know, Rana, she's like a figurehead there because, yeah. you know, she, she talks a good game, but you know what? What's the message? And, like, for, you know, for example, uh, the Democrats attacked us in Nassau County. They checked Jen DeSanta, who was the supervisor, as anti-choice, pro-gun, George Santos, Trump Republican. Guess what? She won <laughs> by 10 points because we attacked back. So, you know, what's the message out of the RNC? They have none. And, and, and they don't Donald spend Trump money either, money. John. They don't spend no. enough money. They don't. They're not geared up. And they don't have they don't help power an election day operate or, you know, pre-election. Remember Haley Barber? That's yep. a chairman. I love Haley. How yep. about this? Remember Bill Powers in New York? That's a chairman. Right. Right. Yes. I mean, they knew how to do Election Day stuff. They're not doing that oh. now, John. I I'm going to have to. I, I got to take you to see Joe Cairo. He's a Notre Dame guy. It's yeah, like I don't know Ryan. him. I don't know him. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to meet him. Bring him into New York. We'll have dinner. I'll buy dinner. I will. I will. I'll but, buy but, so, John, let me met... ask you another something else. Uh, just give me a little wisdom on this Joe Manchin stuff. Everybody's excited. Joe Manchin, Joe Manchin. First of all, we're going to pick up a seat in West Virginia, which is important. So that's 50-50. All right. We're probably going to get a good chance to get two or three more. But it was, so now he's going to run for president? Really? I mean, come on. Who are we kidding? Well, they're going to they're gonna freak out when they realize he's taking more votes from Joe Biden than he does from Trump. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's it's hard. I mean, that's the no, the no labels people are desperate. And it's kind of wrong. The chief strategist is a Biden, former Biden speechwriter. Who so is that? Keep on Who is that? I don't know. The guy is he's on their website. <laughs> it's like, I'm so, it up. But that was Mark Penn, Mark Penn's wife, isn't she? The executive director. She's yeah, a very nice woman, by the way. And Mark yeah. Penn's a good Democratic pollster. But oh, he's Joe a very Manch, good pollster. If you know Joe Manch, he's not going to do it. He's just upping his Washington Speakers Bureau fees. I mean, <laughs> he's I know Joe, you know, Joe's we all know Joe, but come on. I mean, I just love these headlines. I got another one for you. Last night on the TV show, 94 years old, Bernie Marcus, right? right? I think he was for DeSantis, and now he's come out for Trump saying, let's stop the debates and just back Trump. Now, there's a guy with a head on his shoulders, 94 yeah. years old, right? A fabulous businessman. <laughs> I mean, yeah. why don't people get this, John? I Well, Bernie is extremely smart, and I, I went to the dinner for the Job Creators Network had yeah. honoring him last weekend in Palm Beach, oh. and and we we do his polling for the Job Creators Network. Get, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, get oh, for Alfredo Ortiz. I do it with Scott Rasmussen. It's a joint project. Oh. And when we asked, we did a survey this month of small business owners. We do a monthly survey of small business owners. Yeah. By the way, two thirds of them are concerned that uh, the the economy will get worse and they'll have to close their business. Well, but when we ask them. Yeah, when we asked those these uh, 400 small business owners in the early primary states, and and you got Republicans, Democrats, Independents in there, um, you know uh, who's better to help small businesses? Donald Trump, 61; Joe Biden, 28. Undecided there, left. There you go. That says it all. So, that yeah. says it all. All right, John McLaughlin, I got to jump. Thanks, buddy. Give my best to James. 
Tom McLaughlin, CEO of McLaughlin and Associates, Old Pal. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick break. Other side of the break, uh, gear up. Ambassador uh, John Bolton, former U.S. National Security Advisor. He wrote a blockbuster piece for the Daily Telegraph. I want to talk to him about it. Veterans Day, we celebrate our veterans. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. Now, back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. Special treat. Busy guy on the road, Ambassador John Bolton, former U.S. National Security Advisor during the Trump administration, former ambassador to the United Nations, chairman of the Foundation for American Security and Freedom, and author of The Room Where It Happened, a White House memoir. Thank you, John. You're wonderful to do this. You're a prince to do this. I saw your Daily Telegraph column, and and I emailed Christine because it's such a powerful uh, column. You know, John, uh, you talk about the larger strategic context and how Washington or London doesn't understand it. it. It just looks to me like constant appeasement of Iran and all their little friends and all their big friends, John. The Bidens do not understand deterrence, not appeasement. No, that's exactly right. And uh, it's great to be with you again. Look, this is this. You can see the problem unfolding before us that despite Biden's rhetoric about support for Israel, every day you hear new criticisms, new limits uh, that are going to make it uh, harder and harder and ultimately impossible for Israel to do what it said it wanted to do, what Joe Biden has said they have a right to do, which is eliminate the Hamas threat. Uh, and in part, it's because they don't see that it's not just the Hamas threat. It's not even just the Hezbollah or Houthi rebel threat. It's the Iran threat. That's the struggle that Israel's involved in, and we are not helping them. You know, Blinken particularly, almost on a daily basis, but the spokesman is John Kirby, but Biden too. They're just nitpicking Israel in public, all right? You know, three days ceasefire. As you say in the article, there's no difference... Uh, between a pause and a ceasefire. That's just political semantics uh, BS. Now they're nitpicking about, you know, what's going to happen post-war. I mean, can we get through the war first? I mean, why don't they congratulate Israel for the, I mean, finally they woke up, they're running a good campaign, John. It looks like they are cleaning house. It's just constant nitpicking. And then the whole business about the Palestine civilians, blah, blah, blah. You say this, you know, the, we do worry about uh, about um, casualties and so forth, but the government's moral obligations to the whole war. It's an existential threat to Israel, for heaven's sakes. Right. Look, Israel is 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 carrying out its uh, actions in Gaza in as moral a, a way, I think, as any government can. It's Hamas that bears the moral responsibility for endangering its own citizens. It's bad enough that on October the 7th, they they launched a barbaric attack against Israeli civilians. Uh, But in defending themselves, and and let's be clear, they're defending Hamas. They're not defending uh, the residents of Gaza or Palestinians. They are defending the Hamas terrorist machine. And they endanger their own people and try and blame it on the Israelis. And frankly, a credulous public in many respects, in our universities in particular, but a lot of credulous people in the White House buy it. Let me give you one example. 
Before the war started, we heard endless leaks from the administration that U.S. military advisors were in Israel saying, don't rush into the Gaza Strip. Remember the lessons we learned in Fallujah and Mosul and Iraq and similar battles in Afghanistan. Do it carefully. Do it slowly. Protect your own troops. Minimize civilian casualties. The Israelis listened. Uh, This is not an an irresponsible uh, military action. It's being done very deliberately. Now the administration is saying, uh, you don't have much time. It's you're about to lose the Arab street. You're about to lose uh, Western Europe. You got to hurry up. Well, which is it that they that they went too fast? Do they went too slow? Well, the administration that, can have it one way or the other. It can't have it both ways. That's a great point, John. That's a, you know what it is. I mean, part of it. Biden's worried about losing precincts in Michigan. Okay, can you imagine yeah, that's that? Right. I mean, with the state. I mean. It, Look, John Bolton, you've been around this game so wants to destroy the United States. It's not just Israel. It's us. They've declared war on us, but we won't declare war on them. Well, look, I think that's exactly right. The Iranians are still through their surrogate Shia militia in Iraq, the Houthi rebels in uh, Yemen, uh, Hezbollah in uh, uh, in Lebanon. Uh, they're, they're all in their different ways attacking American troops or, or civilian personnel. Biden says, boy, you better not attack Americans. It'll be a red line. So far, he's had two pinprick responses. Uh, We should be thankful for those. The attacks continue. Why? Because Iran doesn't think Biden is serious. He moves two carrier battle groups to the Mediterranean and the and the Red Sea. They don't think he will use them and they will push and they will push. And because of this political aspect at home that you mentioned, which I think has the administration very worried uh, we're in a we're in a place where if what I think is going to happen, which is continued reduction of American support for Israel continues, mm. uh, the Israeli government will not be able to end the threat of Hamas. Oh, boy. Folks, we're talking to John Bolton, former national security advisor. Uh, you've got to read his article in the Daily Telegraph. John, another point. You talk about the Iran-Russian axis. So here's my thought. Um, of course, you're right, but... How about the China-Iran axis and the China-Russian axis? In other words, China is financing Russia in Ukraine and Iran in the Middle East by buying oil. They're like the financiers of these wars, aren't they? No, you're, you're exactly right. And if I had had more than 800 words, I would have made that point. I mean, I've, <laughs> I, I, I am thinking that uh, in the past year, we have seen the emergence of a new axis, a a Sino-Russian alliance, this time with China as the dominant partner. Uh, They have their outriders, Iran, North Korea, Belarus, Syria. And what you see in action here is Russia coming to the side of Iran uh, in in response in part to Iran selling drones to Russia to use in Ukraine. Mm. But the big source of money here is China. And the administration has allowed China to continue to purchase oil from Iran, in fact, to increase its purchases very dramatically, gutting the economic sanctions that are theoretically still in place against Iran for its continued acts of terrorism. Yes. John Bolton, you're the best. I know you're on the road. I just wanted to hear you talk through this. It's a wonderful column, as always. Folks, John Bolton, buy his book, The Rumor It Happened, The White House Memoir. Read his article in the Daily Telegraph. Good luck, John. Thanks. Folks, take a quick break. Money politics coming up with Liz Peak and Steve Moore. We're going to talk about 
incredible Palestinian demonstrations here in New York City and elsewhere. I'm Kudlow. On Veterans Day, we support our veterans. From Wall Street to the White House, this is The Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're going to talk some money and politics with Liz Peek, Fox News contributor, syndicated columnist, and Steve Moore of FreedomWorks, Committee to Unleash Prosperity Hotline, and WABC radio host of More Money, which follows on many of these same stations. Welcome back on Veterans Day. We honor our veterans uh, I want to tell you, a friend of mine just sent me an Instagram. It's an unbelievable Instagram. And the <laughs> headline is, Palestinian supporters rip down the American flag in New York City. Okay, I'm watching this thing. And there are a lot of cops out there, and the cops are not doing anything. Palestinian supporters rip down the American flag in New York City. Liz Peake, you lived in New York a long time, just like me. What in the hell is going on here? Well, they're afraid. Uh, law enforcement is afraid. They've been under the gun for how they handle criminals. Their hands are tied uh, in terms of most prosecutions these days. And look, Larry, we had Black Lives Matter protests that went on for months and months, created billions of dollars of damage, wrecked people's lives and stores and livelihoods. Nobody did a thing. So do you not think these people have been informed by that complete breakdown of law enforcement of course they have and they the these young and it's mostly young people i believe who are out there protesting are being told by uh commentary on tiktok that's where they get their information right. Good that point. this is a no- noble cause uh it's being instigated uh you know b- without any without any direction there's no leadership from the White House on down, that's mm. coming out and saying, stop this, and we're going to put you in jail if you continue to do this. Grand, think about this, Larry. Grand Central Station was basically shut down for yeah. hours yesterday, yeah. inconveniencing millions of people. I mean, that's unacceptable. I tell you what, if Mike Bloomberg were mayor, it would not be happening, because he no, knew how right. to get rid of these protests, and he did so very effectively. Not only is it insane that these that Palestinians... Uh, doing this, don't understand what happened on October 7th and why. But the law and order aspect you mentioned is very, very important. And I like your TikTok point, too, because that thing is out of hand once again. Steve Moore, I mean, this is a political issue. Republicans have to get on this issue. And one reason for their mealy mouth uh, results on Tuesday is they didn't talk about this kind of thing. They didn't talk about the border problem. By the way, God knows who's coming across the border. And, you know, they didn't talk about the lousy economy. They low turnout. They're like dogs on their back, you know, pet my belly in a low turnout saying everybody's talking about abortion. Why don't they talk about this stuff, for heaven's sakes? (laughs) <laughs> Great point. And look, I'm a free speech guy. I think people have the right to go into the streets and say whatever they want to. But uh, Liz makes some really good points that when this becomes violent, like the Black Lives Matter uh, protests and now these, then then that has to be stopped by, by the police. And, and ha- we need a restoration of law and order. By the way, law and order, if you look at the uh, elections that did happen around the country, 
uh, there were a lot of races that were on mayoral races and city council races that were won on the law, law and order issue, Larry. So people do want uh, peace on the streets and they don't want uh, the kind of violence that has become the hallmark of the. And, and incidentally, the other thing that's so discouraging about this, Larry, is if you look at the crowds of people who are protesting, um, they are young people. They're, yeah. they're, you know, the eight, the teenagers and the 20 somethings that have been, uh, in my opinion, just filled with propaganda for the last 20 years. I, I believe there is a real backlash right now. I think the schools, when you see what's happening on the university campuses, there's a real um, political backlash against this. I think there's a real possibility that uh, Congress is going to take a look at the endowments of these universities yeah. and say, wait a minute, why yeah. are we allowing these to be tax free when they're just filling the heads of these kids with these radical ideas? Yeah, but you got look, I mean, uh, so Joe Biden announces this Islamophobia commission or whatever the hell it is. <laughs> Where is the anti-Semitic commission? OK, yeah. Liz, or either of you. This is insanity. That's all they could come up with, an Islamophobia commission, when you see riots like this. And by the way, closing down Grand Central Station should be an arrestable offense. Yeah. You can't do that, Liz. You're dead right on this. And, and the TikTok point, but it all comes together. I'm just seething. I mean, this is Veterans Day, and we honor our veterans who protect this country. But the fact of the matter is, this is a political issue, all right? Biden is going soft on Israel because he's worried about losing some precincts in Michigan, really? And Islamophobia commission? Where's the anti-Semitism commission? Larry, he's not just worried about a few districts in Michigan. What he's worried about is the youth vote. And polling shows he won that by, I don't know, 25, 30 yeah. points in 2020, and now uh, in that really dreadful New York Times Siena poll, he was up by one point with right. young voters, voters under 30. That's who's turning out. Steve is completely right uh, in these protests. And again, it's all, I think it's very seriously China-fueled. I think it's, people are getting their heads full of cotton hand rags on, uh, on TikTok. And they are, yes, they are undereducated and uninformed. And I do think you know, if there anything good comes out of all this, which is hard to envision, it will be that people are finally waking up to what's going on on college campuses. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. you know, too little, too late. And they're all struggling. They have no idea what to do. But I think there will be movement uh, on a number of fronts, and I hope so. They should be doing an audit every year of who's hired on these universities. The trustees should demand this. Is it 100% Democrat? Is it 100% liberal, woke professors? That's unacceptable in a university setting, but that's what they have. 100%. Well, can I just add one thing to that, 100% Larry? 100% liberal. I, I agree with hey, No, no, Liz. 100% liberal, woke, yeah. tenured professors. Yeah, no, that's tenured right. Tenured professors. I mean, really. I'm sorry, Steve. Go ahead, buddy. Oh, I was just going to add to something that Liz was saying, that there, there is a real way for conservatives to strike back at these universities. And it's something I've been saying for 20 years, Liz, stop writing checks to Princeton yep. and Yale and yep. Harvard and Wesleyan. Yeah. And these, you know, it, it frustrates me to no end that uh, we have a lot of free people who made their money in the free market system and 
and became millionaires. And then they're giving money to these universities that are trying to tear down the very yeah. system that created the wealth in the first place. So I think Liz is right. I think you're seeing, I think you're going to see a big, big reduction in the amount of money that is going into the coffers of these universities. You've seen a lot of big donors now saying, I'm done with Harvard. I'm done with Yale. I'm done with Columbia. Good. It's, it's only my only I'm question is what Penn. took them so long? Yeah, Take away you, the tax exemption. Take away the tax exemption. Yeah. But honestly, but honestly Steve, that you're totally right. This has gone on for decades. These guys, I'll tell you what happened. So you, you get a guy who's an alum of, let's talk about University of Pennsylvania, because, boy, have right. they been hit with a lot of people really angry and leaving their board and so forth and saying no more checks. Well, so those people make a lot of money, and then they're desperate for their kids to go to school where they went to school. So they give the right. university a lot of money, and then they're invited to go on the board. And there's all this tension about they're scared to death to raise their hand because they're out of favor then with the administration, and then their kid gets whacked in the admissions process. This is literally true. I actually talked to a Penn trustee the other night, and his whole response was, oh, Everyone is aghast. Everyone is furious. There's so many New York Jews on this board. They're all angry. I said, okay, what are they going to do? Nothing. That's what they're going to do. Why? Because the president, uh, Elizabeth McGill, the, the trustee chair, Scott Bach, everybody is sort of thinking, oh, well, they're trying their best. And so, okay, well, then what are they going to do? Nothing, because Nothing. they're terrified of the faculty yeah. and they're terrified yeah. of the students. That's the most offensive thing. But you know, part of this, this is a culture war, Steve. Yep. You don't see, this didn't happen in LSU. It happened at Tulane, but it didn't happen in LSU. It didn't happen at University of Alabama. It didn't happen at Ohio State. You see what I'm yep. saying? In the South, yes. in the heart of the Midwest, this crap didn't happen. It's the elite colleges, the wealthy colleges on the two coasts. And this is a culture issue. And my point here, among other things, I mean, I, I just want to say, this pal of mine sent me this. Listeners, go to Instagram and find this thing. I don't know how to do it. But it's Palestinian supporters rip down the American flag in New York City. Just watch this Instagram thing. It's unbelievable. Uh, well, Larry, uh, we're reporting uh, it here on Veterans Day. But the point is, where the hell, where's Ronna McDaniels? Where's the Republican National Committee? Where's the Republican message on this stuff on Election Day? Where's the turnout message? Where's the money? See, the GOP establishment doesn't understand these culture wars. They don't get it. They don't. They're afraid to go to Donald Trump, okay? They are afraid. Trump is the guy to make this case, all right? The, the, this whole yep. story is over. Forget about these stupid debates. I had Bernie Marcus on, 94 years old, on the show last yeah. night. He started out, I think, for DeSantis. Now he says, we just need Trump. We need a strong man. That's it. Right. End of sentence. Where the hell is the Republican establishment? Because they keep losing these mealy-mouth elections because they won't deal with the actual issues, the culture issues and the border issues. I agree with that. I was just going to say, another puzzle to me, is why it is that 75% of Jewish voters voted for Joe Biden. I mean, yes. I, really, well, I, mean I just don't understand it. Maybe change. you can explain it. But, you know, here it is that, you know, it's it's been proven that these folks uh, hate the Jews. And mm -hmm. maybe this will wake up 
some of the yeah. eyes of, of 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 these voters because it you is. You know what? It, you, know you know what? By John the way, we, we're seeing sw- we're seeing swastikas now in Washington yeah. D.C. Yeah. spray painted. Yeah. You know what John John Puthorst years ago wrote in one of his books that uh, John, who is a Jewish devout Jew, um, the trouble with Jewish people is, <laughs> is, 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 is that they live like Republicans, but they vote like Puerto Ricans. I mean, he actually <laughs> went and said that. Funny, <laughs> but actually, the Puerto Ricans don't vote like that anymore either. Because, but this is just an absolute offense. I mean, this happened yesterday. Liz is right about Grand Central Station. It's just it just gets my bile going. But the GOP's got to get with this drill. I mean, come on, it's it just just there's you may not love everything about Donald Trump. I understand that, but he's the messenger. He's the sizzle guy. He's the guy who goes instinctively towards these wedge issues. That's what the GOP needs, and they're not getting it done. I mean, you you're right, Steve. Some George Soros prosecutors lost on Tuesday. Yeah. In, uh, in uh, Long Island, I think, and yep, uh, yep. Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh, someplace like yeah. that, and in Loudoun County. So that's a good thing. So there is the revolt is coming. But the Republican establishment has got to deal. It's not just economic issues. We love low taxes and regulations and drill, 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 and so forth, and supply side. But the cultural issues are very important. There's a culture war going on in this country. And now we've got Islamophobia coming. I mean, Liz, have you seen what um, what uh, Dershowitz is saying now about Barack Obama? I mean, he's just ripping his face off, and he voted for him, and he voted for Biden. You see what Dershowitz is saying? Well, I, I, I have seen some of that, and I think it's completely well-deserved. Look, there yes. has been... I mean, Barack Obama started this whole pro-Iranian, yes. Yes. Let's, have a, ha, let's have a reset yes. in the Middle East kind of dialogue, right? And the whole, let's face it, the whole backing of that was we have been overly kind and involved with Israel. So we have to take a step back from our support with Israel and instead support Iran. I mean, that was basically his plan. And by the way, you know, so do we think this is... Obama 2.0 in the White House? Absolutely we do. This is exactly what's happening. I mean, I don't know if you guys saw the editorial today in the journal saying, incredibly, in October, nothing happened to Iranian oil exports. Oil exports out of Iran are just where they were, and they're about, what, 80% higher than they were during the Trump administration. How are they letting this go on after October 7? I don't get it. Obama unfroze a hundred billion dollars of assets yeah. and gave him a couple of billion dollars in uh, cash and gold. Where do you think that money went? Right into the terrorists, yeah. right leading up to October 7th, for God's sakes. And of course, Biden loves Iran. He thinks he's going to integrate them, integrate them. Can you imagine that? Into the Middle East civilization. And meanwhile, he's lifted the sanctions. He's basically yeah. lifted yeah. the sanctions. So China buying the oil is financing Iran. And yeah. let's not forget China buying Russian oil is financing Ukraine. I got to take a break. Folks, go to this Instagram. My pal sent it over. Palestinian supporters ripped down the American flag in New York City. This is from yesterday's disgusting thing. Today is Veterans Day, and we... we Thank our veterans for keeping America free. I'm talking to Liz Peake and Steve Moore. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back. Larry Kudlow. From Wall Street to the White House, this is The Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. We're talking to Liz Peake, Fox News contributor and syndicated columnist, and Steve Moore, Freedom Works Committee to Unleash Prosperity Hotline. 
And uh, WABC Radio host of More Money right after this show on many of these same stations. All right, kids, I'm not done ripping through stuff today. I I didn't see much of that debate. I read stuff about it, but I happened to dial in. I saw the discussion about Social Security. Okay? Yeah. I want to say a couple of things. This was pathetic. Yeah. Right? They're, they're, all, they're basically all talking to Nikki Haley and Tim Scott, yeah. who should know better. So, you know, they want to cut benefits, right? It's all about debt and benefit cuts. No, it's not. And nobody, I mean, by the way, Nikki Haley became a class warrior. She doesn't like rich people. She wants to help the middle class. That's just pathetic. But the other thing is no mention of the need to have market index funds from the market, whether they're stock funds or bond funds, the way the thrift (laughs) supervision plan does, which has to be part of any social security fix. None of them did that. They're all ridiculous and they should just fold up and go home. Bernie Marcus is right. (laughs) It's time to just deal with it. It's Donald Trump. But on this particular point, it's pathetic, Steve Moore. Now you've spent your whole career on this stuff. I know. But I mean, shouldn't we give kids the option of buying market index funds? Well, let, let me say a couple of things. I'm so glad we're talking about this because I feel, and I'm going to talk about this on my show later, so I'm glad we're talking about this now, too. Because <laughs> um, uh, I've got, my blood is boiling. How stupid is it for Republicans to be talking about cutting Social Security benefits? Yeah, I right. mean, how many times do they have to learn that? <laughs> right. If right. they do that, Larry, they're going to lose 60 to 40. You know, mm-hmm. wait a minute, let me see. The Republican message is no abortions and we're going to cut your Social Security benefits. I mean, the stupidity of this is is so tower. Even even Medicare, you know, seniors don't want their. Now, I do think we can do health care reforms, by the way, to lower the cost of health care. No doubt about it. But I'm going to give you one statistic because I think, Larry, and I'd love your guys reaction to this. I think Republicans should be saying the problem with Social Security isn't that the benefits are too high they're too low and yeah. I'll, I'll i'm 63 years old if i had been able to put my money 10 percent of my paycheck each mm. each you know week and month that i've been working now for 40 years and i was going to retire let's say in two years you know instead of a do you know what the average benefit is today for a social security do you guys know what it is it's about three you know, grand eighteen hundred dollars a month If I had been put my if I had put my money in in the people in my generation, because I'm a late baby boomer, instead of eighteen hundred dollars a month, I'd get eighteen thousand dollars a month. There you go. So Social Security, you're right. We've got to convert this. In a, and by the way, I would make it voluntary I'd say to young workers, hey, you can either keep your money in Social Security and we'll, we'll pay you that benefit or you can have this option of putting it into a personal account. And I think that would be a great message. But come on. Ronald Reagan learned the lesson. Remember when, when David Stockman wanted to uh, yep. get rid of yep. the COLA? For Social yep. Security. Yep. And, you know, it was the only time Reagan was really unpopular for a while. Every time they start talking about this, they lose. By the way, if you look at the thrift savings plan, which I am a member, yeah, they have a number of approved index funds and they also have yes. a, a stock funds, but they also have a number of approved bond funds. You could invest in the damn bond funds exactly. and do far better than you're getting from Social Security. I mean, that's, that's what's so, but where are these bozos? They're set on the stage. None of them picked up on this, never uh-huh. even mentioned it. By the way, I did talk to Vivek Ramaswamy, and I think he is going to he's going to come out for the personal accounts and the Good. and the four hundred one k type of plan, uh, and and I think that's a message, Liz, that appeals to 
you know, the, the millennials and the Generation X. I think so, too. I think it, but, and by the way, it's something that should have been addressed 20 years ago or 30 years ago. Right. What we're talking about is basically, if you oppose this idea, you oppose the idea that the, the United States economy over time exactly. is the best bet around, right? Mm, and right. that's what the stock market reflects. So, I mean, obviously Ooh, the messaging is, on this is, is very risky, uh, but what they're doing is even riskier. And yes. I, I totally agree. I think this is a huge miss and a really, really important message and issue to address. Liz. This is how we save the entitlement Liz, program. Liz, write yes. a column, Liz. Write yeah, column. I, I think I will. Tell I them, no, no, idea. Liz. Write a column and tell them all to go home. It's over. <laughs> tell them to take us you know, Larry, out of our please, pain Larry, and misery. It's guess over. What? I've had that thought. Liz Peak, I love you. Steve Moore, I love you. Steve Moore is more money on many of these same stations. I'm Cudlow. God bless our American veterans.